Hello and welcome to Series 3 of the Leading Through Uncertainty podcast. I'm Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature and host of this podcast, and I'm the author of the book Leading Through Uncertainty. In this series, I ask leaders to share their stories of uncertainty, the challenges they've faced and overcome, and what we can learn from their experiences. David Keane is the CEO of the RDM Group based in Coventry. He celebrates 27 years of running his business next month, but the vigour and enthusiasm he brings, as well as his approach, are akin to an entrepreneurial startup, which is, of course, what he set up 27 years ago. David thrives on uncertainty because it keeps things fresh and exciting, and he explains how he balances that with providing a structure within which creativity can occur. He has a plan B, C and D for everything, so it seems that whatever happens, David is ready to lead through it. Have a listen. Hi David, thank you for joining me today. For the benefit of the listeners, can you say who you are and what you do? Yes, my name's David Keane and I'm CEO and founder of RDM Group and a lot of other companies, which we'll probably go into. Okay, well tell me more. (laughs) Well, um, so do you want my back history? Yeah, that would be great, a little bit, yeah. So... um, so I guess it all starts uh, probably when I was, uh, well, very, very young and I got into cars in a big way and I was always taking my father's car to pieces and uh, he'd come home and find half the engine disappeared and right, then okay. uh, he'd go out again and when he came home again it was all back together and all working perfectly okay. and so I spent my youth uh, literally taking everything to pieces so starting with Meccano when I was about three years of age and then moving up to everything I bought, I unscrewed it and I worked out how it worked and I screwed it back together again. Wow. And this was my sort of mind going through things, uh, trying to understand how, how things work. And so I got into cars and then I decided um, I was interested in electronics uh, and software, uh, which at that point... Uh, blimey, how many years ago would this be? A long time ago. Um, there were very little electronics and very little mm. software. In fact, I, I actually hand-built my first computer as a kit, and I built that. Um, and then I thought, I'll do an electronics degree. So I thought, okay, where, where am I going to go? And I applied to various places. And uh, Coventry, as was the Lanchester Polytechnic, mm-hmm. it's now obviously fancy because it's Coventry University. And... Um, I applied to several others, went there, and they offered me a place straight away, which I thought, great, this is not close enough to be home, but not too far that mum and dad can come and visit me every two minutes, so that's mm-hmm. great. And uh, and then a few weeks later, I got a letter through the post uh, from Rover, who said, we exclusively use Coventry Polytechnic as a ground to find grad- undergraduates to go on to our management and graduate programme. Mm-hmm. And... Um, do you want to come along for an interview? So I thought, oh, this is great. Yeah. So, I so went, you turned your hobby into your work. Turned my hobby into work. So I went along and uh, thought that I was going to have a one-to-one interview and just be taken on and uh, turned up and at uh, Longbridge in Birmingham and there were 780 other people wow. in the room. <laughs> uh, and what I didn't realise was uh, my dad had taken me and he said, I'll just wait in the car for you. And what I didn't realise was it was an all-day psychometric uh, okay. session. <laughs> and uh, so I did the first three hours, and then there was a break. And I remember it was a boiling hot day, and I went out to my dad, and I said, Dad, we've made a bit of a mistake. I'm here all day. So he hunkered down in the car to wait for me. Anyway, I went through this process, 
Uh, and a few weeks later, got another letter to say another interview, one to one this time. And four weeks after that, I was recruited onto the graduate recruitment program. And that year, they took uh, between electrical and mechanical, they only took uh, ten people. Wow. So I did quite well in that respect. Mm. So then I was doing my degree, and I was now working at Rover Cars. And uh, I finished my degree, went into Rover, worked my way up to quite a senior level. And uh, so I, I started there in 82, 1982, and uh, in 1993, uh, I thought to myself, I need to do something different, and I'm getting a little bit bored, uh, and I've always wanted to start my own company, and my dad was quite a prolific inventor, mm -hmm. although he had a very good job, he was always trying to invent things, so I was in that world. Mm. Two of my uncles had businesses as well. And so I thought, right, I'm going to start a business. And just at that point, Rover decided they were going to um, announce voluntary redundancy. Right, so timing was great. Perfect but that timing. was quite radical. And like back in the early 90s, people, I mean, now everybody sets up a business and there's, you know, it's oh, relatively yeah. easy to set up a business because yeah. you can set up your own website and get customers. Whereas exactly. back in the early 90s, that was pretty out there to leave a good, solid corporate job. and Yeah, it was. I mean, I was, I was 29 years of age. I'd got two company cars. I was um, working quite a high level. And um, yeah, it, it, was, it was something. But you know, when you've got something inside you... Mm. Um, we were talking earlier, weren't we, about about uh, your your uh, history and what mm. you can do. Once you've got something there, you want to do something. Uh, you just got to make it happen. Yeah. And I can remember even today, you know, going home and saying to my parents, "I'm going to pack this in. I'm taking voluntary redundancy. I'm going to start my own business." Well, they they were not happy and thought I was completely bonkers. <laughs> yes, I've had the same experience. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and I thought, oh, that's a strange reaction. I wasn't expecting it because I was in my own world of mm, doing that. Mm. And um, so I, I left Rover. I had, uh, I, I can tell you now, uh, my, my voluntary redundancy uh, package was uh, £20,000 in cash uh, into my bank account. And that was 1993. Mm, that's a good amount. And I was able to keep my company car um, for a few years. So I'd got some sort of buffer. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I will never use that £20,000. So I put it into a bank account. And actually, it wasn't until 15 years after I'd run the company that I actually decided it was safe for me to use that wow. £20,000. And I just did it as a... a I'd got money, mm. but I just kept that in mm. an account because it meant something really mm. different to me. And did that help focus your attention on making the business work as oh, well? Definitely. Mm. So uh, I just bought a house. So I was in that. I wasn't um, married at that time, but I got a house. I've got outgoings. So, you know, I need to eat mm -hmm. and keep myself warm. So I thought, what am I going to do? And the day that I left Rover, I had four phone calls from people who I'd been working with in suppliers, and they said, we just heard you've left, can't believe you've left, uh, but now you have, do you want to do some work? So I thought, oh, this is quite good. <laughs> so for the first nine months, I, I did consultancy work, mm -hmm. and I travelled everywhere. So mm -hmm. even travelling to Turin and working for Ferrari uh, and Pininfarina and people mm -hmm. like this, 
and suddenly my world was completely changed because mm. I wasn't going to work every day at Rover. I was doing going to all these amazing places. And still in the automotive industry, still which in is automotive. clearly something you have a passion for. Yeah. And so I was consult I was basically selling my skill and on a time basis. Mm. And then I was in uh, Pininfarina and they came up to me and said, uh, we need this uh, little wiring harness made the, uh, for the door system that you're working on. Um, could you get it made? We need 20. And I said, yeah, no problem at all. So when I flew home, I went down to Maplin and I bought some wire and some crimps and a, and a, and a crimp sort of things. And I made these little harnesses in my little bedroom at home, wow. box room. And um, I'd been invoicing these guys on a consultancy basis, and uh, I, I, I did an invoice for 10 harnesses at £20 each, so £200. And I submitted this invoice, and about two weeks later, I had a phone call from accounts saying, oh, we've got your invoice, uh, but there's a problem with it. And I said, okay. And I said, oh, um, we think you've made a mistake. Um, don't you mean £2,000? So, of course, I said, yes, of course, that's what I meant. And then I, I suddenly realised that actually making low-volume, special-vehicle-type products, there could be money in that. And so I thought, well, actually, what I really want to do is go back to manufacturing. So, of course, from that, I then moved into selling my time, selling other people's time who come to work for me but also building that into a design development manufacturing company right. and in three three weeks time we will be it'll be 27 years since I started the company wow. and oh, today congratulations yeah thanks and today from that box bedroom um, doing those little jobs I've now got a company or a group of companies and we can design a whole vehicle so right. I have body, chassis, steering, suspension, mm -hmm. trim, electrical, software, mm -hmm. so we can do the whole thing. Right. And so, Fantastic. yeah, it's quite a, quite a journey. So you've absolutely experienced leading through uncertainty then, haven't you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, my whole life has been one big uncertainty. Yeah. In, fact, in fact, every day is, is uncertain for me. And I, I, really, I really get a kick out of it, actually, because I think it's quite... A, a great thing to do to have an uncertain situation mm -hmm. and turn it into certainty um, and to keep pushing yourself along that mm. and my mantra is we always say yes to everything okay uh, within reason yeah. you know, there's obviously bounds of what we're doing mm -hmm. but we say yes to everything we then win that job whatever that job is mm -hmm. and then I get together with my team and they all look at me because I say we've won this <laughs> and then and then they go, oh God, Dave, you haven't you haven't won that, have you? And I go, yeah, of course I have, because it's really great and it's exciting, and we, we, we need to work it out. So I sit with the team and we work out how we're going to do it, and we deliver it. And then I say to the team, there you go, it wasn't that bad, so we can go and do something even better or even bigger. And so that's what that's what we've been doing, mm -hmm. and I've built that culture in in the company. Yeah. And so I've got a lot of my friends. Uh, they always say never work with friends, family, and animals. Um, you've got your horses, yes, so, so yeah. you've got the animal <laughs> bit. Um, but I've got my family here. My brother is um, uh, finance director and, and co-owner, mm -hmm. and uh, my mum, she's eighty-three. She still works for us five days a week in finance. Wow. Uh, my wife works here, 
and various other family members work for me and some of my best friends work here and then I've got people who've worked for me for over 20 years. So, so you're clearly very compelling as a leader then, aren't you? Uh, well, I, I, I guess <laughs> I, I never try to blow my own trumpet, but no, I, must sure doing, I must be doing something yeah. okay because yeah. to manage family, friends and people who are not family and friends... That's tricky. ...is really tricky. So all that uncertainty... Especially when it's your passion. Uh, yes. Um, and, and, you know, um, I might want to work 24 hours a day, and, and sometimes I do, um, but other people don't mm. and, uh, or don't want to, or don't want to at certain times. So I also have to manage and temper that as well mm -hmm. because I am very enthusiastic about getting things done. Mm. Um, and, of course, not everybody wants to work like, like I want to work, mm. but I, I manage that and mm. I get the best out of the people. And I have to tell you, I probably wouldn't swap any of the people that we've got or mm. the team that we've got. They're absolutely fantastic. And, uh, you know, I drop all sorts of things from all sorts of heights on them and they, and they, and they look at me and they deliver it. So what, what is it that about uncertainty that you thrive on then? Because most people will tell me, oh no, we like to be in control and we don't like uncertainty and, and people struggle with it. So what's, like, what's your secret wisdom behind it all? Um, so just to explain, I suppose I, I do really like uncertainty, but on the other hand, I'm a very structured person. Right. So I don't come into work, bounce around, do odd things. I've got quite a set routines on things. Mm -hmm. I'm quite structured about how I do stuff. But the uncertainty bit is is the bit that I that I can handle because I am structured. Yes. So yeah. if you're a very unstructured person and you add in uncertainty into that, crikey. You it's know, chaos. It becomes it, chaos, it doesn't becomes it? It becomes total yeah. chaos. And do you think that's then the secret of your success with, with the RDM group then, that you've created this strong framework and structure within which then you can cope with the uncertainty and you can get creative and innovative yes so without it ever feeling overwhelming and chaotic exactly i'm sure so you have the odd day but no. well there's the odd day i think <laughs> yeah. everybody everybody does i'm sure um, you're human too yes exactly and and there's sometimes where i go home and cry and i say crikey i've really bitten off something huge here and and but I then think it through and try and say, okay, let's break it down and let's mm. work it out and try and do what we're going to do. Mm. But yeah, that whole piece of, of uncertainty um, and allowing the people, you know, there are roles within a company, you know, there's a CEO all the way down to, to the cleaner or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I always say everybody is important. Mm -hmm. You know, if mm -hmm. the cleaner doesn't do their job mm -hmm. properly. You know, that's a really important thing. Mm -hmm. And what I tend to do with the people is, within their role, I try to give them enough space to be creative. Okay. So the people here know that actually they can think, and I don't, I and the teams don't micromanage. Mm. And if you give them that amount of space, it's amazing how much um, improvement you get mm. out of the people that work for you. And I think in uncertainty, even more so, you need to step away from the micromanaging because otherwise yeah. you just create more fear and tension. Yes. And and the, you know, if you're being micromanaged, there's this fear of I'm going to get it wrong because I'm not doing it the right way. Yes. And then that just fuels, doesn't it? it so does. I think you're right, in uncertainty, to give the people the space for their own creativity is quite important. Yeah, and I think space for creativity, a, a good structure around it, mm. so people know where they are and they know the values of the company and what we're trying to do. Um, and I, and I've, got, I've got a number of little sayings that, that I have. 
and one of my little sayings is, when you see me panic, then you can panic. And I just give that as a, because we'll be in meetings and mm -hmm. there'll be somebody who's gone off on a tangent and is worrying about all this minutiae detail. And, and I say to them, look, you know, do you, do you, do you, do you see me panicking about mm. all of this? You know, all the stuff that you were talking about there, we will deal with mm. in a set process and we will work it, work it out. Mm. And actually, if it goes wrong, I've always said the best companies, you should always make mistakes mm. because if you don't make mistakes, you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Yeah. Um, and you what, can't learn. And you can't learn. Mm. But I was always taught that if you've made a mistake, the best people are the ones that can correct that mistake very, very quickly. Yeah. And, and be actually, honest about it. And be it. honest about it yeah. and say, we were tacking in that direction. We've got to change tack for whatever reason. And there might be things that are outside of your control. There might be things that are, I don't know, environment or, or, or legislation, or it could, could yeah. be anything. Or the economic environment or, yeah. You know, we're in a recession. And yeah. Who, who knew that was going to come, yeah. you know, on Tuesday, you know, whatever in June or mm. whatever. So there's things that you also can't beat yourself up about. Mm -hmm. Um, you should always try and somebody said to me you should always sniff the wind okay which is like an that. interesting yeah. one because what you shouldn't do is just blindly go through with your head in a bucket yeah because actually you should be you should be in a position where you should be looking at factors you know are things slots looking like they might be going into recession so in the automotive business I mean I've been through three recessions mm. ups and downs all over the place in 27 years and I've got better at looking at the market and thinking, do you know, we ought to think about battening down the hatches a little bit because I can see that something is coming. Okay. And actually, if you do that, you can either plan for that or you can say, do you know, that is going to go south at some point and we need something else. So we start working on diversification right, in some okay. way. Um, and so are you always planning for best scenario and, and worst scenario? Yes, so another one of my sayings is you should always have a plan A, a B, a C, a D, an E and F. And you should always have something that if your plan A route is not running as good as you think it should be, or it's been blown off course for the reasons we are just talking about, mm. I've got a plan B right up my sleeve that I can bring to bear straight away. So I'm not... I'm not worrying about disasters, yeah. but I've always got in the background some research or some planning that's been done that if we needed to change to a plan B, we're ready to go. Right. So do you think that takes the pressure off you and the team and stops you from going to panic? Yes, Because it, it in does. uncertainty, you know that you've already got three or four plans behind the current one yes. that you can step into at any point. Yes. So we've got an example, I can't go into too much detail mm -hmm. on it, but it's, it's a typical example where we've won a project um, in Detroit and that project requires us to, to do something that we haven't quite got the capability ready mm -hmm. at this point in time. Mm -hmm. So our plan A just won't work because the timing, and I can't move the delivery right. because it's one of these fixed in stone you know, it's like the start of a Grand Prix. Yeah. You know, if, you, if you're not on the starting group, yes. you're not in the race. Yeah. And actually, you can't say, oh, do you mind not running it on, on, mm. on Sunday? Can you run it on Tuesday? Yeah. You've got to be there. And so we're not going to get there. And everyone's running around saying, well, you've won this, Dave. You know, what are we going to do? Mm. So I'd already worked out what a plan B would be. And okay. we've introduced that plan B. 
and if everything goes okay, which I think it will, that plan B will be the plan that we go for. So everyone's thinking now, hey, we can we can deliver that. Mm-hmm. Now, once we've done that... And if it doesn't, that, I'm guessing you've got another one behind have. that. <laughs> There's another plan C behind it. Yeah. And once we've got through that gate that we've got a problem with, we'll jump back onto plan A again. Yeah. So all of that uncertainty, I quite I quite like it, and I quite... I find I find there's a huge challenge in mm. that personally and I like the fact that my company can navigate its way through that mm. and actually a lot of the customers that we've got know that they can phone us up and they can put any left field curveball whatever one you want to call it at us and we'll go okay think we've got a solution for that I think we might know how to do that so do you think that makes you unique in your industry well I, I don't think I'd be brave enough to say unique because there's a lot of people in in our industry but I certainly think it puts us in the top you know 0.1 mm-hmm. percent and and I think I think that's a good thing and mm-hmm. I think some of our values you know if you start to say well what are your values you know everyone says oh we're we're competitive and we've got high quality and all these things everybody says that don't they? everyone says that and actually you know maybe 25 years ago if you said oh we're high quality people would go blindly high quality great we really Mm. need that Mm. especially in automotive Mm. but now you know that is just a given Mm. it's just a total given Mm. so you've got to think okay well what are our values and what are we doing and in some of the areas we're working with our customers, it is very much they they are often themselves in crisis, and what they want is they want someone to get them out of the crisis. Right. And so they phone up us, and we go, okay, we'll have a think about that, and we'll come back to you. Mm. And we come back to them speedily and say, we think we've got a solution. Mm. So we've got a project at the moment where companies in a little bit of crisis because some of the stuff is quite difficult to do. It's very low volume. Um, normally, it would be very high cost mm. to implement it. They want it on a very short time frame. And what we've done is we've looked at it and said, well, actually, we wouldn't crack it like that. We'd crack it like this. And they've gone, actually, we can accept that. That's great. great. And so yeah. that creative thinking. And know, also the fact that you don't panic must be really helpful as well. Because yeah. I know, as a, you know, for me as a business owner, I, I surround myself with suppliers who don't panic. Yeah. Because I I'm a, I'm a little bit like you in that I I'm not a panicker because I always think there's a there's an answer to everything even mm. if it's not the perfect answer. Yes. Um but on the times when I just think I genuinely don't know what to do, I've got suppliers that I can go to that say what about this or I've got mentors that I can ask or exactly. so I I surround myself with people like that. So you you as a business must be a real comfort to your customers then yes. to know that 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 you they've got you as almost as their comfort blanket. Yes. I mean that's how I see my suppliers. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And and um, and what you've just said, we've got um, a group of suppliers because we don't do everything. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want anyone to think any of your listeners to think that we're this almighty thing that does mm. everything and you know we've got brilliant relationships with many many uh, companies or organizations or individuals as you just said mm. that help us not panic to deliver what we need to deliver mm. and and so when something comes through and we think actually we need that from one of our suppliers when we phone them up and we say actually we need it at three o'clock this afternoon 
they go, yeah, I think we can do that. And when you can rely on that mm. change, mm. suddenly you can be quite bullish at the front end. Mm-hmm. Um, what I have done over the years is there's not many of those suppliers around that are like that. Mm-hmm. So some of the stuff we've had to take um, inside the company right. and so recruit or gain that experience or buy that piece of equipment or whatever it is because our business is not nine till five. Mm-hmm. Our business is almost 24 hours a day. And and also if we if we need something at eight o'clock at night, we could, we could you know, we can't pick up the phone and someone's uh, there's an answering machine mm. or something like that. So there's been quite a lot of, of collection and that's why the group has grown such that we're able to be our own masters and our own destiny mm. to enable us to deliver things faster. But even then there's stuff that we just can't cover all the bases yeah. and we need people to do that. Yeah. So that's so hearing, the way we're managing that uncertainty. Yeah. So I'm hearing a lot and the the key to your success in, in uncertainty is it's that critical thinking and problem solving balanced with creativity. And I I don't think yes. you can actually do problem solving without creativity. No. Although, you know, when I when I worked at IBM people would tell me that creativity was a bad thing. We needed to be logical, but yes. sometimes we needed to be radical. Yes, that's right. Um so it's that balance between the problem solving and the creativity, but also the flexibility. Yes. As it, well. it, exactly. All of those things and that word you just used about radical is another thing where where you've been running a business for quite a while, if you're not careful, you can get really absorbed and blind, I think is the best word, to your business and what's going mm-hmm. on. You talked a minute ago about things that are changing that mm. you don't see, mm-hmm. and then suddenly one day you're deleted. Um, so I, it's very difficult to do, but I have the approach that every time, if I come into the building, I try to look at everything that's going around me, even the way people are dressed, the standards, everything, as if I was a first customer ever coming into the building. Mm-hmm. So you'll notice on your right-hand side there, your listeners won't, obviously won't be able to see it, but there's a very bedraggled plant. Yes. And you'll notice in the back corner of my office there's a very lush version of that plant. Yeah. That's because that plant in my office I water once a week because it's in my office. Mm-hmm. This is tucked up the corner of our boardroom. And I gave a presentation last week and I walked into the boardroom to give the presentation and as I was halfway through... I glanced over and I looked at that big draggle plant and I thought to myself, that is an indicator to a customer that you can't be bothered. Mm. You cannot be bothered to water it, you can't be bothered to look after it, Mm -hmm. and you can't be bothered to remove it. Mm. So your standards are terrible. Mm. And actually, does that translate into Mm. everything that you do? So you've brought it into your office to so nurture it. I'm nurturing it, and then I'm going to make someone responsible for it, and then it's going to go out of my office, and that person will be required to water it. Well, and it's it's got some greenery. For those who can't see it, which is everybody, it has some greenery, so it's it's bouncing back, and it's yeah. architecturally quite um, dramatic as well. Yeah, it is. So it's but not, that's the sort it's of not done yet. It's being yeah. revived. It is being revived. <laughs> but that's a good example, and and... Some of the employees find it difficult to associate that example to actually the business environment. Mm. But you've got to really point it out to them. Mm. So, so you've always got to be on the lookout, haven't you, for where is there a bedraggled plant that yeah. needs a bit of attention? Yes. 
and yeah. and to then put your focus there and then and then look for where's next yeah and and it could be it could be anything it could range from housekeeping so when i walk around if there's a nut or a bolt on the floor i go and pick it up and mm -hmm. i say to the nearest person didn't you see this okay it's a health and safety issue because mm. if you slip on it mm -hmm. but also again it just shows that you can't keep the place in in, in tidy mm. uh, state um but that also all translates into what does our brand look like? What does our documentation look like? Uh, when we meet somebody, you know, how do we present ourselves? You know, mm -hmm. you came in, I gave you a business card straight away. Mm -hmm. You know, I had a meeting prior to you. Um, nobody turned up with business cards. They didn't really understand why they were here. You know, and you think, okay, well, that sort of sets a little image in my head. Mm -hmm. um, well, they're bad people. It's just... It's the attention to detail and the quality, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So that comes back to the structured bit mm -hmm. that you've got to have some structure because yeah. employees as well are looking for that. Yeah. Most employees want to know the structure, most of them. Mm. Um, and they want to know what, what's their boundary for operation mm -hmm. and all that's good. Yeah. Um, and particularly in uncertainty, because if everything is uncertain, it just feels just chaotic and out of control, yes, doesn't it? It does. So I think more more and more in uncertainty, you need that level of yeah. security, of something to hang on to that says, this is what I know that yes. I can still hang on to. Yes. And, yeah. you know, most employees are here because A, they, well, first of all, they, they need to work. Mm -hmm. They obviously want to work Hopefully, you want to be able to work in an environment that is really, you know, we always say we do a great job, but we're always having fun mm -hmm. because it is terrible if you're watching the clock. Mm -hmm. If you're watching the clock mm -hmm. in any business and as an employee, start to look around for an alternative yeah. job yeah. and find something that really motivates you because mm -hmm. you're just wasting your life. It's mm -hmm. a complete thing. And don't think that it's great that you got a paycheck at the end because you you just hate it mm. you know so so that sort of environment create that environment for the employees is really yeah. important um, but as you say when then you're working our company works at very high speed multiple projects mm -hmm. all of those projects very uncertain mm. that's really difficult unless you've got the structure mm. and also from a top level from myself I say to my top line um, you've got to be able to you know um, manage that as well as delivering so that whole managing all the employees mm -hmm. and making sure that if somebody fires off to 40,000 feet not that we have that but I mean in an emotional way yeah not in an angry way yeah you say hang on a second it's under control all, mm -hmm. all I want you to do is do this and then you'll see this all unravel to this and we can move on um, and that's what we try to do Great. So how do you how have you stayed fresh you know you've been doing this for 27 years how have you kept continually pushing the boundaries and uh, I think because I'm always excited about something new mm -hmm. um, so I always say to myself today did I actually learn anything that was new mm. and I can pretty much guarantee there's at least one thing I learn every day which is new and I mean even meeting you mm -hmm. and talking about your business with, mm -hmm. with the horses mm -hmm. and, and how you do that I've never heard of it. It's absolutely fascinating, and I can completely see how how it works. Mm. I can understand why it's successful mm. and, and why people, you know, come to you. Mm. So you learn something, and then when you've learned something like that, you, you just put that away. Now, 
that might be something I use tomorrow. It might be something I use in a year's time. But it might be something I go to somebody and say, hey, I've met this great uh, lady and she does all this, blah, blah, blah. You know, and they go, hey, can I have a telephone number? Mm. And so yeah. that contacts and doing things and meeting people and, and telling people, um, especially business owners, mm-hmm. um, as most, if there's obviously business owners listening listening to this podcast, you know, it can be quite a lonely you're surrounded by lots of people, or in your case, lots of people and lots of horses. Yeah. But you're surrounded by by lots of people. But actually, someone told me the other day, you are a servant to all of them. Mm. Yeah. And and I thought that was a really interesting mm. comment because actually, if 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 you think about it, that's what you do mm. really. Well, you do it for your employees. You do yeah. it for your customers. Yeah. So if you if you're not happy about your customers, your suppliers, your employees, or what you're doing, that's really terrible. Mm, so, mm. and but it's really interesting to talk to other co-owners, mm. um, founders, investors, all these other people, because mm-hmm. actually when you talk to them, they've pretty much got eighty percent the same story, mm. or are living the same lives, or just a slightly different perspective on the same story that yes. just fires your brain in a different way. Yes, and. Um, yeah. And as I said to you before this podcast uh, started, that I've really got into podcasts because I've been so disillusioned with the negative press over mm-hmm. the last three years. I've got into podcasts and I've been listening to business development and people development and all the rest of it. And and it is interesting where you listen to somebody who might be, I don't know, they might have a, a bread-making business or they might have a property business. Mm-hmm. And actually, when you listen to their story and what they're doing, mm-hmm. I've listened and there was a... There was a podcast on on property these two people are doing it and they were doing something in their marketing of that property and how they were doing it and I thought you know that's really applicable mm, to mm, what I could do yeah nothing to do we don't do anything to do with property yeah. but there's, there's always a nugget isn't there nugget. of something that you can take out and there's say yes that's so I guess a new way of looking how at to things. stay fresh I think open mind uh, meet people uh, read be interested in stuff um Think about things that are associated to your business in other sectors. Mm, mm. So, you know, um, a year ago, someone came to me and said, uh, we want to build these really super lightweight, uh, lightweight trains called uh, VLRs, very light rail. Um, would you like to be in a consortium to build the trains, two of them? We've never built a train before. We've never been in the rail industry one year later, I've got a, a new building. I've got six buildings on this industrial estate. I've got a complete building dedicated to rail. We have a new brand called RGM Group Rail Technology, and I'm building two trains. <laughs> and, and you never would have expected to do that? No, no. But I said yes because I thought we had probably 80, 70 or 80% of the ability mm-hmm. and the cross-fertilisation of understanding mm. from the stuff we do. Mm. And I thought to myself, going into the bit I just talked about, I could fill the 20 or 30% in, we'll work it out. Yeah, We'll work it out because we're good at working things mm. out. So now we're, we're doing that rail. Mm. And, and I did the same eight years ago. I thought, we've got all the technology, we've got the people, why don't we get into autonomous vehicles, you know, self-driving vehicles? Mm-hmm. Easy to say, but really complicated. Mm. And companies all over the world putting billions of dollars into mm-hmm. it. And here we are today. I've got a company called Origo, and we're one of the leading um, first mile, last mile autonomous vehicle companies. 
and we've got offices now all around the world. I've got offices in Australia, in Houston, Texas, and in Canada, and we've got distributors all over the world, and we have developed all of the software and the vehicles completely in-house. Wow. And we're on that massive learning curve of how do you make a vehicle drive itself um, and for some good things. So we're not road going. What we're trying to do is move people around on that first or last mile. Mm. So, for instance, if you if you were elderly and you needed to go, I don't know, four or five hundred yards, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, across a, a, ca- a university campus. I've picked mm-hmm. the wrong one because it's, it's elderly. But if you were in a shopping mall, mm-hmm. these mm-hmm. big shopping yeah. malls, yeah. and you wanted to move around, that's quite a long way to mm-hmm. walk. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens if you're blind and you want to get around? You know what happens if you've got some disability? So mm-hmm. we're we're providing some of this um, transport mobility, future oh, mobility wow. transport system for people. What happens if you've lost your driving license? Mm-hmm. Maybe you've got a too old, or you've got a medical condition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think there's something like 160 medical conditions in the UK currently that prevent you from driving your car. Wow! And of course, when people get old, especially if you've been a very uh, get out there, drive everywhere, and someone mm-hmm. takes that away mm-hmm. from me. Mm-hmm. I couldn't think, it's probably one of the worst things that would happen to me if someone took my car away from mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. Or, or not not take my car away, but take my car away and not give me the ability to, to be able to go anywhere at yeah, any time. to be mobile. Yeah. And, and we've got a real gap in that mobility bit. So everyone wants to get you to get you out your diesel, horrible yes. car. Yeah. Um, but there's no real substitute at the moment because the public transport is not quite how we want it to be. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, what happens if you only want to go a mile? Mm. You know, taxi drivers, they're fantastic, but they'll queue up for 45 minutes. You get in and you say, I want to go three quarters of a mile. And yeah, they go, they get oh cross. my goodness, yeah. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So we're in that space, and that space is going to be really growing. It's it's going to be a huge space. So so that's really exciting. So exciting times ahead yeah. then. So yeah. who who knew when you sat in your box room and uh, took things apart and made things and well the one where person that did, today. the one person that didn't know was me. Really? <laughs> well, I guess you don't do you, and I guess I no. guess part of your embracing of uncertainty is you've just grabbed and looked for opportunities and, yes. and created them. And just built those up. Yeah. And, um, and, and done it in service of communities and society because we all benefit from yeah, exactly. the things that you're creating. Yeah, so. and I've got some great things going on. You know, we've got good links to the universities. I, w- I was very, very pleased and actually proud that Coventry University gave me a visiting professorship. So I've oh, almost wonderful. come full circle. Yeah. You know, I started there doing my degree I'm now, I'm now a visiting professor in autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I promote the university and I'm like an ambassador for the university. And so I'm giving that back. Yeah. Um, we're supporting and sponsoring, you know, the Coventry uh, um, 2021 City of Culture. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm fortunate now to be in a position where I can put that back mm-hmm. um, and I can look for young people. So we have young people coming from Warwick University, from Aston, from Coventry, from all sorts of places mm. and we can give them an environment where it's like state-of-the-art really interesting you know i can think back when i was 18 i would literally have given my right arm if i could have worked for a company like this yeah and so that's brilliant for me because mm. i you know i can see my young self in some of these people yeah and i say to them quite often and openly wow you you are so lucky because mm. this is so brilliant and and how wonderful you've created a company that works 
worked for you and still works for you, but yeah. that also is working for the younger generation coming it, through it, as well. It is, and I'm quite excited about that. So, yeah, so my, my, my every day is positive day. Wonderful. Well, David, it's been amazing to talk to you. I could honestly talk to you all day. You're so inspiring. You've got so thank many you. more stories that we've not heard. You're so, very uh, kind. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's been excellent. Thank you very much. I love that David says yes to everything and works out the how later. That's creative, innovative leadership at its best. He has created a culture of this in his business so that people are positive about the future and trust that they can achieve the impossible, even if they don't know how. So many business leaders often say that they want people to be more entrepreneurial and innovative, but they micromanage everything that people do. David's approach is refreshing. He trusts people to come up with a creative answer and he gives people the space so they can thrive. What do your team need from you to thrive in uncertainty? That's it for this week. I was your host, Jude Jennison, and I hope you were as inspired as I was. Keep leading and come back soon for the next interview on Leading Through Uncertainty. Mm-hmm.